Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're listening to The Dworkin Report. I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. Sherry Jacobus is a former Republican staffer, pundit, and Fox News regular who spurned Trump early on and in return was the subject of a smear campaign, a catfishing attempt, and ultimately an email hack during the 2016 election. Sherry worked her way up the ladder from a typical Midwestern upbringing to become a high-level staffer for the GOP until her party left her behind for Russia, racists, and as she calls them, Trump's thugs. Now, she's an independent who cannot stand what the Republican Party has become, and her voice rings clear on why America needs to vote for new House and Senate majorities in this year's 2018 midterm election as a check against Trump's runaway power. Here's my interview with Sherry Jacobus about what it's like when the GOP turns its trumped-up hate machine against one of its own. Hi, Sherry. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time to tell uh, the Dworkin Report listeners about your political journey. Um, Where are you from originally? I'm originally from Peoria, Illinois, flyover state, uh, and um, then we migrated to uh, Maryland, and I was 30 years in D.C. and several years in New York, and now back in Maryland to help with my father. So that's pretty much uh, the long and the short of it. Can you please tell our listeners a little bit about your political background? What made you get involved in politics in the first place? Well, I started out just knocking on doors on Capitol Hill. I didn't have family connections. I'm not the daughter of a big Republican donor. So I had to just put, you know, use the shoe leather and got a, got a very low-level job and worked my way up, worked my way up to leadership, uh, contract with America, all of that sort of thing. I ran campaigns um, at a time when women weren't running them, but I didn't get the memo, uh, which was a good thing. So I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to be doing that. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I was one of the outside advisors at Bush White House. I helped with the McCain campaign. The first one, 99 and 2000, was a pundit, a writer, um, all of that, just a typical um, sort of moderate Republican cam- uh, uh, career and uh, <clears throat> did pretty well, was an adjunct professor at the uh, George Washington University Graduate School of Political Management and then um, when my party basically committed suicide by nominating Donald Trump, I left the party, and I'm now a registered independent. I will be voting Democrat uh, next month. Wow. Well, welcome uh, to the fold. Thanks. I, I'll, be, I'll be doing the same. And so it, it, then I guess, I guess he, he announces, or it was right before it launched, the Trump campaign reached out to you. In 2015, they did. What, what happened there? They did. Uh, a person that I'd known for 30 years, an acquaintance friend, uh, contacted me and um, said he was going to be working on the Trump Super PAC. Uh, the campaign was looking for a communications director, and uh, would I be interested? And I wasn't, but I wanted to be polite, so I said, "Well, let's sit down and talk about it." Uh, you know, I'm a consultant, so I, I take hundreds of meetings. 
so uh, we arranged to meet for lunch. Uh, he brought along a guy named Corey Lewandowski, who I'd never met or heard of before. It was a little bit of an ambush, and they worked on me and wanted me to keep an open mind. Uh, and that's where I learned a whole lot of things about the Trump campaign, what they were planning, and the super PAC. Uh, so I stalled for a few weeks. Um, they admitted they were having a hard time getting good people to meet with them, hence the big, you know, the ambush where I wasn't told Lewandowski would be there. I was told that uh, uh, Kellyanne Conway had stood him up for a meeting. Um, so they were having, you know, uh, credibility issues. So I stalled for three weeks. Uh, then, um, but I, they wanted another meeting. Corey did. And I agreed to meet thinking at that time I would probably be meeting with the candidate. Uh, and um, that was a very odd meeting where Lewandowski, I saw aspects of his personality that the rest of the world came to learn about later, um, yelling, screaming, unhinged, out of control, just extremely unprofessional, and I wanted no parts of it. Uh, my friend who was there <clears throat> thought that uh, he, he was trying to tell me afterwards that it was great. Uh, Corey was afraid he was too hard on me, but really liked me. And I'm like, okay, how do I get out of this nicely? And I said, look, you know, I didn't appreciate the hazing. Thanks, but no thanks. Good luck working on the super PAC. And that was it. I even defended uh, Trump on television sometime after that. My first public criticism of his of, of him, him was the same as with so many other people. It was when he made those despicable comments about John McCain's POW status, saying, I like people who weren't captured. Um, I publicly criticized him at that point. So clearly my uh, what he deemed hostile hostility was not because of anything that happened in my Trump Tower meetings that I did not ask for. Again, they came to me twice. Uh, it was because of his own actions and words. So a few months later, when there was a Washington Post story about the fact that Trump had a super PAC, uh, he was lying about it. He and Lewandowski claimed they didn't. They knew nothing about it, that the super PAC had nothing to do with them. I publicly confirmed the Washington Post reporting in tweets. They did a follow-up report where Lewandowski had to admit that, yes, he did know the guy in Colorado running it. it was actually a friend of his. We now know this guy has also done work with Cambridge Analytica. Uh, and at that point, I was um, immediately... Uh, off of Fox News because I was <laughs> clearly a problem. Now that I was, uh, had, you know, I knew st stuff that um, they didn't want anybody to know. Um, wow. And um, at that point, too, we later found out was the day that I the catfishing started, where somebody pretending to be a lawyer uh, in in Britain, Great Britain, who also had U.S. privileges, U.S. citizen, representing big Republican donors. Uh, and they wanted um, to possibly hire me. Turns out they were looking for personal information on me. Um, obviously, I was a big problem because I knew about the super PAC and could identify it. Uh, they also were interested in finding out what I and other never Trump people, we didn't have that term, never Trump them, what, what the um, opposition research was that we had on them, which is how Rick Wilson sort of got involved in this. So this went on for a few months, and I was being attacked horribly. Once Breitbart did a piece about me, uh, all these what we now know are bots and trolls and white supremacists and just doing, you're showing me disfigured and murdered and shot and in the gas chamber, just you name it, um, dismembered um, and just literally by hundreds and thousands. And New York Times did a front page piece on this. Uh, and then um, one night I'm on uh, when I um, was on CNN and uh, they brought up the super PAC or the fact that Trump wasn't self-funding, and I brought up the super PAC. At that point, Trump and Lewandowski proceeded to 
lie about me and claim that I had come to them twice for a job, begged them for a job, uh, and was turned down and then went hostile. This was, of course, false. Lewandowski said it on Morning Joe. Then Trump said it, uh, tweeted it about me. And if you've ever had a Trump Trump tweet about you, um, you watch your Twitter feed just blow up. Um, I was not with a campaign and I was not with a media outlet. I was just a person who was a commentator on television. And um, he was attacking me, a presidential candidate. And um, that was very bad. And when he got a cease and desist letter from my then lawyer, he tweeted it again. And then we got a um, a uh, little call from Don McGahn, who's now the White House chief counsel at that point, was chief counsel to the campaign and a former FEC commissioner, Federal Election Commission commissioner, which is kind of important here. And he wanted to see if we can dial this back. He drew up a non-disclosure agreement, an NDA, for me to sign, whereby Trump would delete his defamatory tweets about me if I agreed to never talk about that super PAC or anything else in those Trump Tower meetings ever again. And I was getting ready to sign it and then pulled back when I realized I was being catfished. I connected the dots. I saw these Colorado phone numbers being used by a couple different personas uh, for both me and Rick and Liz Mayer, Rick Wilson and Liz Mayer. Um, I contacted, um, tried to contact authorities, but at this point didn't know who it was. But I pulled out of the agreement, and I was going to look for a lawyer, and I was going to sue. Uh, as soon as uh, the uh, catfisher realized that I was on to him sometime later, I connected some dots with the domain registration, IP addresses, this sort of thing. Uh, he was gone. Um, Preet Bahara's office got involved. No one thought that he was uh, working alone, and he was in prison wow. at that point. So they took him to prison. He was already off on bail for something else. Well, now, months later, let's fast forward a little bit. I'm under attack by the Trump campaign. I file suit. I'm suing him for, for defamation. Uh, and then in August of 2016, Politico does a big piece about the catfishing and how odd this was. So this clearly was Trump people doing this dirty tricks. And, um, while that they were calling around Trump world, but before publication, my email get hacked, gets hacked and I get the FBI to launch investigation. Uh, Gaffisher was sitting in prison, couldn't have done it himself. So we knew that this was obviously uh, Trump people. At that point, um, the FBI launches an investigation. And over the course of a couple of years, <laughs> it, it got very interesting. And a couple of things happened that made it very clear that people close to Trump had access to information from my hacked emails. So very recently, the Southern District of New York Cyber Division told me that they have shared all of my information with Mueller's office. So that is the short version, believe it or not. I, I, you know, that you, you answered about eight questions. I, I, I was going through them, and it was kind of, kind of in order and impressive because uh, you, that that is absolutely terrifying because it's the targeting of an individual. I don't know if you knew, but. Um, in right before Mueller was appointed, when I was, was really pushing for public uh, hearings and Nunes had just canceled the Yates and Clapper hearings. And um, again, before Mueller was appointed, but right after Flynn resigned, uh, the Russian embassy in the UK tweeted out, hey, uh, funder, my, my handle on Twitter, go ahead and keep talking about uh, Trump being a, a Putin, Putin's puppet. And then my trolling went up about, you know, 10 10 to 15 times what it had ever been on a, on a good day. So yes. that's targeting. That's what I, I know see. what that's like. Yes. And I had fake personas where people were tweeting out as me 
they were creating actual photoshopping uh, tweets claiming they were from me, racist tweets claiming that I that I had put them out there. Um, anytime they don't like something, they'll get um, the white the alt right folks uh, that Jack proposed a guy working with Michael Caputo, and they will deluge anybody um, and and cause you a lot of trouble. Um, I've had my family threatened. I've had them take pictures, photographs from my Facebook, personal photographs and put pornographic images of children in my family, relatives on Twitter. Um, They have placed my family um, in danger. They placed me in danger. Um, I, um, it, it, it's not funny. It's not okay. And it's not politics as usual. And as you know, it goes far beyond just dirty tricks. This is dangerous stuff to the point where uh, people in this country um, are afraid to give their political views. Um, you have no problem, you know, Trump, Trump supporters have no problem showing their faces while they're carrying tiki torches. But if you don't support Trump, your life is in danger. And again, what happened to me, and there's been a lot more than things that I can't even talk about, um, but I'm a, basically a private individual, somewhat of a public figure because I d- have appeared on television quite a lot over the past 20 years, but I am not employed by one of the networks. I was not at that. I was not employed by one of the uh, other rival presidential primary campaigns. I was just a regular person out there at the time. Had maybe six thousand Twitter followers, and Donald Trump and his thugs, and the team behind him, uh, whether it was Putin, Cambridge Analytica, or they're all cut out of the same cloth. They set out to destroy me and cause me harm and place me in danger. And that is frightening that this happens in America. This episode of the Dworkin Report is brought to you by Resistors Like You. We aim to keep this show independent for as long as we can. Visit DworkinReport.com to see how you can help out. One of the best ways is by hitting that contribute button in the top right and giving what you can. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. I'm curious, in regards to uh, Fox News, what was it like working on Fox News before Trump? Uh, and then, I, of course, what do you think about the channel today? Well, I've never been paid by Fox News. Um, I was on thousands of times over the years, beginning the first time in 1997 when I was an RNC spokesperson. Now that we know what it takes for a woman to get at at Fox, <laughs> you can kind of see, yeah, I guess I just never you know, played that game or figured that out. Um, but I was initially banned early on because I refused to have what they call the cat fight with, with Kirsten Powers. Uh, I'd been on a segment with her where she was having one with me. She was um, clearly being told by her bosses there to do it, and I would not partake. I wanted it to be a little bit more substantial. So I was banned for many years. Uh, and if you don't, and that, that is a, a pretty common thing that happened. I now know from other people who used to be on Fox, other you know Republicans. And then if you don't play the game, you're done. Uh, And then little by little, I guess I sort of got back on, mostly on Fox Business. Uh, And I noticed then, by this time, I'm in New York, uh, and it's leading up to the primary. And I I was living in New York then, so I was right there in in that bureau, which is quite different from the D.C. bureau. And it was a very weird vibe. It was like a Stepford wife, one by one. Each time when I would go in there, I'd notice another person had turned and was now sort of Trump friendly, pretending that this horrendous human being was not what he was. Uh, It was starting where you're sitting there looking at them, talking to them. These would be hosts, Uh, people in the green room where you're like in producers, you're like, well, you know what he just said, you know, he's on. And oh, I don't know about that. I'm like, what? And that was 
at that time, it was so odd because we're so used to it now, the blatant lying, the, the being told that what you just heard, you didn't hear. And I remember having a chill go up my spine a number of times uh, as I would hear someone defend this person. And I thought, is it a New York thing? Because they all know him from New York. And by the way, I think a lot of the establishment people on the right and the left uh, had no idea just how tight Trump was with some of these New York figures, such as Roger Ailes, such as Jeff Zucker, uh, to know the enormous uh, influence that he had. Uh, when Corey Lewandowski tried to tell me this, I, I was kind of laughing, thinking, yeah, I bet these guys think he's as much of an idiot as the rest of us do. <laughs> uh, a buffoon. Sure, your friends. Yeah, right. Well, it turns out um, they did hold sway uh, because, they, you know, Corey bragged to me that they had Roger Ailes and Jeff Zucker and even Joe Scarborough uh, in, his, in, in his back pocket. And, of course, I didn't believe it because I thought, why would anybody do this? I thought it was just false bravado. So, um, you know, there, these relationships really were there. Uh, Eric Bowling, very tight with the Trump family and saying unbelievable things on the air. So I, these were people that I had known for a long time um, and been friendly acquaintances with or been around. And I was I was shocked. Like I said, a, a chill will go up my spine when I'm thinking, what is going on here? I'd never seen anything like it in my 30 some odd years in politics and media, frankly. And today, obviously, he's he started mouthing off again. Uh, he said uh, he called Stormy Daniels horse face and he insulted Elizabeth Warren's appearance, saying she was a bad version of Pocahontas. Uh, not too long ago, he called you personally a dummy um, and said you begged for the job, as we had said, um, which... Oh, he's called me a lot of names, even the ones that he didn't get sued for. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so. What's your opinion? Yeah, he's tweeted about me. What is your opinion of, of Donald Trump and and how he's treated women and of the Republican Party for not only tolerating it, but mimicking it? Well, now they feel emboldened because they got Brett Kavanaugh uh, on to the Supreme Court. Uh, so now they want to make sure that everybody knows um, that you do not stand up to them. Uh, they want women to be si silenced. They want to make it clear that it is okay to attack women uh, on their appearance and, and uh, to be misogynistic, to treat women, frankly, like crap. Can I say crap on your show? Absolutely. I just said, you can say, sorry. You can say shit um, if you want but, to. Uh, you can say anything. Yeah, so uh, it is it is an all-out all out attack on women, uh, and that's what they like. It's who they are. Uh, and if you are a woman who supports Trump or is in the Trump orb, um, you have to take it. You have to act like that's okay. You have to understand you're a second-class citizen. We saw that with Melania Trump um, and her, her basically saying, oh, his affairs aren't any of my concern. And yet we have people still grilling Hillary Clinton on something her husband did you know, more than 20 years ago as if she's responsible. So there's a double standard. Um, you better know your place as as a as a woman in Trump's America, in the Republican Party, in Trump's Republican Party, uh, and they have just pretty much codified that. They're all in. Uh, we've seen uh, the men, the male Republican uh, commentators, pundits, um, cheering, cheering Trump on for this type of misogyny, uh, and um, you know we've seen this with issues of racism. It's now uh, they no longer even have to wear their white MAGA hoods. Uh, they're right out there. They, you know, carrying their tiki torches, uh, tweeting things, saying things, um, the most disgusting things, uh, because they know they can get away with it. In fact, in this climate, it tends to get people booked on television, not just Fox. We see that a lot on CNN. CNN, um, 
goes out of their way to give, I guess they say, the other side um, rather than get to the truth. Journalism should be about getting to the truth, not about getting both sides. Uh, so but CNN is very good at um, putting on racist, misogynist, uh, Trump liars, people who should be in prison for lying to Congress. Michael Caputo is in that category. He lied to Congress, uh, got caught doing it. And this, was, and this was about his contact with Russians during the campaign when he worked for the campaign. Uh, he had a Russian pal that he apparently had known for a while who wanted $2 million for dirt on Hillary. And so Michael Caputo set up a meeting for this fella with his pal, uh, Roger Stone. My only question is, how big was Michael Caputo's cut of that $2 million going to be uh, if it had gone through? Uh, but he and Roger Stone both lied to Congress and should be indicted and prosecuted. Instead, um, they are being made famous. They're being made stars by the media, including CNN, so that they can raise more money for their super PACs and their GoFundMes, uh, sell their books, um, and, and you know basically become rock stars. Um, this is this is what CNN is now doing to help Trump and people like Trump. So we now have this cottage industry where uh, if, if Trump could get hit by a bus tomorrow um, or he could be, you know, impeached uh, or some be forced to quit uh, if it helps save his kids from jail or prison. Uh, but Trumpism is going to be harder to kill and that is because it's still so great for ratings. And guys like Jeff Zucker, you know, he's not a news guy. Uh, he's a reality show guy. He greenlit The Apprentice when he was head of entertainment at, at NBC. This is what he knows. He doesn't know news. And so, you know, this is what we're kind of stuck with as a culture and a country and a dying democracy. This episode of The Dworkin Report is brought to you by Resistors Like You. We aim to keep this show independent for as long as we can. Visit DworkinReport.com to see how you can help out. One of the best ways is by hitting that contribute button in the top right and giving what you can. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. You, you used to work on the Hill, right? You, you were a congressional staffer back in the day, right? Congressional staffer for many, many years. Yes, that's, that's, what, I, that's what I did for forever. Uh, started on, you know, Capitol Hill, knocked on doors till somebody, you know, paid me pennies to answer phones and then worked my way up. That's the way to do it. Uh, have you, um, what did you think about the Kavanaugh hearings as you brought it up here? I, I mean, I just, to me, it made me, you know, give me chills, I guess, for, for a lot of times. I just, it was d disgusting to me and it, it uh, made me sick sometimes. And, and I just wanted to know, um, especially being a former Hill staffer, what did you think about that the Kavanaugh hearings and how it was handled overall? You know, I, I don't even recognize um, Congress anymore, the body that I worked for for so long. And I was, you know, communications director for a committee. I worked for leadership. I worked for, for Bob Michael when he was House Republican leader. You know, from Peoria, as he was too. Um, and uh, it, I, I didn't even, I don't even recognize it, the lack of decorum, and we don't even expect it anymore. It was shocking to me that this man could go in there yelling and crying and uh, then later pretending that, well, he was just emotional and angry when a, clearly this was a prepared speech. And it was a speech that 
you know, I believe that he worked out and practiced with Bill Shine, who is now at the White House heading up communications and used to, you know, he was fired from Fox News because he was the enabler of all types of sexual harassment and racism. He was sweeping under the rug. That was his job. He was the fixer. So he's basically Trump's new Michael Cohen. And now we have um, the, the rules waived um, about contact between uh, an administration and a news network and where Bill Shine and Fox News uh, folks are speaking every day and can meet uh, because Trump is just traipsing all over all of our rules, regulations and and and, and traditions uh, that are supposed to help America. Uh, so uh, this was a Bill Shine production. Uh, the fact that Brett Kavanaugh behaved like that, as you know, Ever, all the leading authorities say that it should have been disqualifying. You have former Justice uh, John Paul Stevens, Republicans saying this. You have American Bar Association. You have, um, you know, as a 2,400 law professors and, and 100 Christian leaders, everybody saying, do not confirm this person. Uh, and this is because of that and because he had perjured himself in the other hearing and since his record was mostly uh, hidden um, there were so many reasons to look elsewhere for a better nominee. Uh, and Trump wanted this person because this is a person that he knows will fix things for him while on the Supreme Court. Uh, I think Brett Kavanaugh understood that the fix was in from the beginning, that he knew his behavior in the hearing as well as other things were grossly disqualifying, but he knew that he was going to be confirmed no matter what. I don't believe that Susan Collins was ever in doubt. Um, I think they, they always knew uh, how this was going to go. And uh, so he did this for high theater. He did this to um, behave like Trump. Uh, he did this to make that type of behavior acceptable. Uh, and then you saw Lindsey Graham do the th same thing. Uh, so they basically, um, they, they've, I think they're destroying our country. I think it's worse than we think it is. And if we ever have a chance to rebuild, I think it's going to take a lot longer than people think it will. How do you think uh, the media can change in regards to instead of carrying what I would call fake news, which is when Trump says something as if it's a fact and then they cover it by saying Trump colon and then they say whatever he said as if it's a fact. Um, uh, uh, just the, one of the things that I've been complaining about of the many, but like, what are the m major things that media can overhaul to fight back against this this narrative that he has and the fake news spreading that he does and everything the the propaganda from Russians and North Koreans and, and elsewhere? Well, they can engage in twenty four seven fact checking, immediate fact checking. If they have to put them on a time delay, do so. In fact, that might not be such a bad idea. Uh, they don't have to carry his rallies. Uh, they need to do fact-checking, again, not the next day, not an hour later, but by simply serving as stenographers, that is not journalism. Uh, they are supposed to be reporting the truth, uh, and they already know that Trump lies a lot. Uh, and they also should have a rule like they've always had. If somebody is a liar on television, they're lying to the press, you stop talking to that person, whether this is somebody that Trump is paying, Kellyanne, uh, or the pundits uh, that are hired or on uh, the networks regularly, you stop booking them. If you lie, you have no credibility. You're done. Uh, and that's what their rule should be. Instead, they consistently bring these people on, uh, and that hurts America, uh, but they do it because they think it's 
cute or funny or they're too lazy to report news the way it needs to be reported. So they like to do the, you just said this and they may, you know, push back a little bit, but you know, who wants to watch Chris Cuomo push back at Corey Lewandowski or Michael Caputo or Kellyanne Conway? That is not news. That is not informative. That's not helpful. That's not even political discourse or or political debate. Uh, The debate in this country should be what we're watching every night on television throughout the day. What we're hearing should be, they said this, it is a lie and call them on the lie every single time. I don't think that they should be, uh, and they need to change their own rules and programming to accommodate the new reality that they're being lied to so that they can report the truth. Uh, but some of the people that they book on the shows and even the Sunday morning shows, um, are, it's, it's, it's rather unbelievable. It's, it's just, um, it's, it's sad and it's getting worse instead of better. Um, it'd be nice if uh, Twitter could clean up its act. Uh, if they even had, they even perhaps need a certain time delay uh, to do some fact checking. I, I don't know what the answer is, but they need to clean up the bots. They need to um, get rid of this um, ability for anyone to destroy somebody on Twitter by just sending out a bunch of bots and giving the impression of a lot of support or opposition to that person. I've had it happen to me. You've had it happen to you. Uh, and, you know, it sticks. Um, I think that um, uh, Google and other places like that should um, be very careful about letting um, anything on the Internet, about giving places like Breitbart or The Federalist or some of these rags um, the status of news so that, you know, when you Google news, it comes up. In fact, there should be some sort of restrictions so that, and I, I don't think this is, traipsing on anybody's freedom of speech, but you need to level the playing field somewhat, um, or at least make it representative of what a publication really is. But um, there should not be a situation where um, uh, all these little right-wing sites can together, get together, and then uh, change someone's Google, you know, their internet reputations because Twitchy and Breitbart and a few folks all gather together and use the same headline and they can make sure that um, when someone Googles you, only their stuff comes up. Uh, you know, there's something very, very wrong here. Uh, so, yeah, there's lots we can do. We're just not. Uh, so I'm just going to warn my listeners to put their hands back on the wheel if you're driving because I know you're clapping after that. Uh, <laughs> you just explained. There were some new ideas in there that I actually have not heard, uh, especially, especially all in one Right there. It just reminds me how bad things are right now. Um, You ever thought about running for office? I have thought about running for office. I thought about running for office in my hometown in Maryland this last time. Um, I would have had to have run as an independent. Uh, I'm not a Republican. I would not have wanted to run as a Democrat. And I don't think that the, the Democrats would have nominated me. They have their own. Um, uh, again, the, the problem for an independent running is funding. Uh, and if you are in a media market, uh, where the sixth district of Maryland now is partially Montgomery County, which is basically the Washington DC media market, it can be very, very expensive. Um, that was before the lines were redrawn and the, in the, in the past, the sixth district was a little bit more rural and affordable. Um, so, you know, I think we've, you know, there's, there's a lot of obstacles uh, to running for office as an independent. Absolutely. And what's next for you in the political space? 
Well, we just uh, yesterday, or actually late the night before, announced uh, the site that I've been working on. I, I It is now with uh, the Maven Network, uh, and uh, I now have a site called House United, and it is for uh, it's my writing and news, and I'm getting other people, like-minded people, to join as contributors. And basically, it's a center-right home for disaffected Republicans and so-called never-Trumpers. Uh, it is for independents, people who are in that. Yeah, you know, there can be they can be conservatives, uh, they can be moderates, um, but they are never-Trumpers. We are never-Trumpers. Independents, disaffected Republicans, you know, former Republicans, everybody in that space, um, and a lot of it. Um, very much in line with what Democrats um, are about or should be about in in the the midterms, although I I do have some concerns now about what the focus is uh, for Democrats possibly blowing um, a real opportunity. Uh, But for We Never Trumpers that they say we don't exist, basically we're spread out all over the place. So I want to create a home um, on the Maven uh, roundtable and the the maven.net create a home for um, for all of us to join and sort of consolidate all of the information um, that people, like-minded people, um, need and want and, and may want to contribute to. So it's all in one place. It's easy to say we don't exist when we're hidden and spread out all over the place. But if I can pull everybody together in one spot, you'll see how powerful and influential we are. Absolutely. And we'll make sure to tweet out the, the website as well. Where can our listeners follow you online? Uh, well, Twitter, obviously, at Sherry Jacobus, C-H-E-R-I-J-A-C-O-B-U-S. Uh, and obviously, uh, my House United site at themaven.net, House United. Uh, and you can see everything that I'm writing and posting and and uh, have written. And that's a good place to start. Oh, Sherry, I really appreciate you and I appreciate uh, your efforts and, and everything you've done to fight back. Um, I know I appreciate it as a fellow patriot um, here in America. I, I know what it is for, for people to weaponize the Internet and use it so it affects and hurts your, your daily life. And you're still standing. You're still here and you're moving forward. Uh, and, and I just can't be happier for you and where things are headed. Um, obviously, our country needs some work. So I hope that you uh, keep keep up your I, I, I'm not going to say resistance because you're you know, uh, may not want to be part of that, but I will say thank you for, for all your efforts that are, uh, never Trump surrounding and, and bringing some civility back to things, um, and common sense into, into the, the political sphere. So I appreciate your time. I appreciate you telling your story and, and thank you again well, thank for, you. for joining me. Thank you. Thank you very much. I want to thank Sherry Jacobus for sharing her story. I'll make sure to keep everyone updated. As it progresses, I want to thank my producer, Grant Stern, for all his hard work. You can follow him at Grant Stern on Twitter. You can visit our website at dworkinreport.com. Please support our podcast. We are still independent. Thanks again for listening. Keep resisting. Onward! Onward!